Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. We're going to start a study through the Advent season. Actually, what we're going to do is just kind of continue where we've been. So if you've been with us, we've been studying through the book of John. Today, we're going to keep on trucking, and I'm going to tell you why in just a second. Christmas is all about Christ. It is not about gifts. But today, I can't help but talk about perhaps one of the greatest gifts. No, I'll just say it. Like, the greatest gift that I've ever been given in my lifetime. It was so lavish. It was so expensive that, frankly, it caught me off guard a little bit. And I was speechless when somebody offered this gift to me. And I had to stop. I was embarrassed because of how generous this gift was. And I had to say, hey, would you give me some time to think about this? Would you give me some time to pray about this? Because I want to make sure that my heart is right before I say yes to this gift. I'm certain that they didn't expect me to say, I need to pray before I even accept a gift this generous. Now, it would have been an incredible offense to these folks if I would have said, hey, I'm going to accept your gift. Thank you so much for your gift. And here's what I want to do to pay you back for that gift. Because the very fact that it's a gift means that it cannot be paid back. And today, what we're going to read about in the Bible is God's gift. The greatest gift God has ever given. If you look up here on the screens, what we're going to see is about God's grace. Now, when we start to talk about a gift, it cannot be earned. If it's earned, it's not a gift. You already know that. But sometimes when we think of a free gift and the grace of God is something that none of us could earn in 10 lifetimes, when you think about a gift as free, if you're not careful, it will make you also associate it with cheap. Look up here for a second. The gift of God's grace is totally free, but it is not cheap. And here's really what I want you to hear from the Bible today. God's gift of grace is free, but it is also priceless. And during this Advent season, we're going to continue to study through the book of John. I'm going to tell you why we're going to keep studying through the book of John. Because we're going to encounter a story of a woman who experiences The greatest gift of a lifetime, the gift of mercy, God's grace poured out on her, and she knows she doesn't deserve it. And I hope you associate yourself with this woman. I hope you can think back to a moment where you did wrong, you knew in your heart what you were doing was wrong, and you did it anyway, and you got caught in the very act of doing wrong. Because that's what we're going to hear about in the Bible today. But let me tell you why we're going to cruise right through the book of John and keep right on going where we left off. Because virtually every passage in the Bible is a Christmas passage. Virtually every story in the Bible somehow relates to Good Friday. It somehow connects to Easter Sunday. It all ties back to Christmas because without Christmas, without Good Friday, without Easter, we are lost and hopeless in our sin. Somebody tell me amen. We're going to run into a woman who experiences the grace of God today and it profoundly 
changes her. I believe Jesus' grace is so generous that it stuns the crowd when they see how he deals with a woman caught in the very act of sin. This story is found for us beginning at the last verse, John chapter 7. And there's three things that I want you to notice about the grace of God. All of this today is us talking about this free gift of grace, but please don't ever, ever, ever mistake free with cheap, this priceless free gift of God's grace. The first thing is that you and I should be able to say, I need God's grace as much as this woman that we're reading about in the Bible today. And if you don't feel like you need it as much as she needed it, there's something wrong inside your soul. So here's what we learn about this desperate need for the gift of God's grace. It starts in the last verse of John, and there's an asterisk or a bracket in your Bible that I really need to talk about today. John chapter 7, verse 53 says this. Then each one went to his house. Stop. What on earth are we talking about right now? Because if you look in the footnote of your Bible, or perhaps your Bible has a bracket, just like we put on the screens and in the mobile app. Chances are, the footnote in your Bible around this bracket, this story that we're reading about today, says, um, we don't know who wrote this story, but we know it wasn't John. Let me give you a little bit of background today on this passage, one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, and often one of the most confusing and misunderstood. The story that we read about today happens during a crowd that gathers in Jerusalem while Jesus is in Jerusalem. When we study how this passage is written and we compare it to the rest of the book of John, we start to realize, um, I'm not sure who wrote this. I'm not sure when this was written, but it definitely wasn't written by John. The way that this story is written does not sound like John. I've spent... Um, all week long researching this passage. And here's what I want you to hear. This passage in much older translations of the Bible will sometimes show up at the end of the book of John. Sometimes it will actually show up at the end of the book of Luke. We don't know exactly who wrote this, but I don't want you to misunderstand me. We absolutely are convinced that this really happened, that Jesus really did this, We just don't know who recorded it. So I had the privilege when I was going through school to learn from one of the world's greatest scholars on the book of John. His name is Dr. Gerald Borchard. And Borchard said, this passage definitely doesn't belong here in the book of John. It's probably not John writing this passage. In fact, Borchard believes that Luke actually wrote this story. And that it probably belongs in the book of Luke. But somehow it got left out of the book of Luke. So when the people that were putting the Bible into print came across this story, they were like, "Mm, I'm not sure exactly where it goes. But Jesus is in Jerusalem at this point. Jesus has a crowd of people around him at this point. This story happens in Jerusalem with Jesus and a crowd of people. Let's put it at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. I need you to understand something about this passage today. Please look up here. I'm going to pause for effect so that you don't miss what I'm going to say next. What we're reading in the Bible today 
definitely happened. It is absolutely part of the Bible. We're just not exactly sure who wrote it or when this happened. And when Bible scholars were putting the Bible translation together in front of you, they assumed this is probably the best place to put it because this story doesn't naturally fit or doesn't find itself in any other part of the Bible. So I need you to hear what you're learning today from the book of John probably in Jeff's opinion, written by Luke and just didn't get included into Luke's book, so it gets added to John's book. There's a crowd that meets together, and Jesus is talking to and teaching the crowd, and at the end of teaching, they all go home. I need you to know my personal opinions about the scriptures. This is important for you because I've spent my adult life, my entire adult life studying the scriptures at the highest and the most rigorous levels. And I am absolutely 100% convinced that what you're reading in the Bible is accurate and without error. I need you to know that you can take the Bible to the bank and you can take this story to the bank. But I also need you to understand something about the Bible. I can give you the entire Bible an outline of the entire Bible in 30 seconds. Are you ready? Start your stopwatches. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 2, God creates human beings. In Genesis chapter 3, God gives human beings divine authority and enters into a perfect relationship with them. And then we rebel against our creator and we reject our own God. And from the second half of Genesis 3 all the way to the end of Revelation 22, you have one story played out over and over and over again in the Bible. It is God the Father pursuing rebellious children because he loves us, wants to shower his grace on us, and wants to be in a relationship with us. And this may be one of the most beautiful examples of that found anywhere in the Bible today. We all desperately need God's grace, like this woman that we're going to read about, because all of us in this room need second chances. And if you deserve or need a second chance, just go ahead and raise your hand. For the folks that didn't raise your hand, I'm, I'm afraid you may have found the wrong church, because all of us in this room mess up and need God to give us a second chance. Listen to the story of this woman who we're introduced to in John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn, he went to the temple again. This is in Jerusalem. And all of the people were coming to Jesus, and he sat down and he began to teach them. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery, making her stand in the center of the crowd. Now, these religious leaders are so threatened by Jesus and by his teachings that they will do anything to discredit this traveling rabbi. And so they're going to try to trap him with their Old Testament law. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And in the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Got him. They asked this to trap Jesus in order that they may have evidence to, con 
to accuse him. This whole thing is a trap set from the very beginning. They are using this woman as a chance to discredit Jesus and to make the crowds ignore him. We're talking about the grace of God today. One of the greatest theologians of the last century, a German uh, theologian by the name of Karl Barth said, look, the grace of God, it has to make a difference in your life tomorrow. If you just read about it in the Bible and it doesn't make any difference in your life tomorrow, then it's not really grace. Well, this woman is caught in the very act of adultery. And don't miss what the Bible is saying here. They grab her and forcefully bring her in front of Jesus and in front of the whole crowd. Just picture in your mind for a second how ashamed this woman is. Just picture in your heart for a moment how embarrassed she is, how guilty she is. Because nobody in the crowd needs to condemn her right now. She knows exactly what she did was wrong. And the Bible uses the kind of language that says they grabbed her and dragged her. That's the kind of language that it's using in front of the crowd. And they threw her down at Jesus's feet. And they're all pointing the finger at her. And they're telling Jesus, hey, the Old Testament is very specific here, Jesus. We know what, Le- what um, Leviticus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 22 says about somebody caught in the act of adultery. Listen, wherever you're watching this broadcast from, anywhere in the world, maybe the society that you live in, they treat adultery like it's no big deal. In Bible times, in God's eyes to this day, adultery is a capital offense. Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 22 says you take the people in in an adulterous relationship outside the camp and you kill them. It is a capital offense against a holy God. There are some scholars that believe that this woman kind of was known for this, and so they were waiting for the moment, caught her in the act, dragged her in front of Jesus in the crowd. Others believe that her husband set her up and that she has done this before, and that he wants to be rid of her. So he tips off the religious leaders, and they find her right in the act of adultery. There, if there is ever a woman anywhere, if there's ever a person anywhere in the Bible that needs a second chance right now, it's this lady. And I need you to remember That your sin, even the smallest little sin, when I do something wrong, even if it's seemingly insignificant, that sin is a capital offense. All sin is ultimately breaking the law of God. And according to the Bible, it is only punishable by death. There can be no forgiveness of sin, the book of Hebrews says. Without the shedding of blood, you can't pray hard enough. You can't give money. You can't go on a mission trip. You can't read your Bible enough to make the sins of the past go away. Somebody's going to have to die for that sin. That's what Leviticus and Deuteronomy are teaching when they find this woman and caught her in the very act. But at this point, I got to ask a question. Where's the dude? Like, okay, you got her. If you caught her in the act, certainly there should be two people at Jesus' feet right now. Interesting to me that there's only one, and it just happens to be the notorious sinner in town that you caught and threw down at the feet of Jesus. 
When preachers talk about this passage from the Bible, they always focus on her. And I think they're, they're missing it. You see, this passage is not about her. It's about Jesus. And it's about how Jesus is going to respond to this circumstance. And let's just be honest, y'all. They have Jesus over a barrel right now. Because Leviticus and Deuteronomy don't give Jesus an out here. But the problem is that in Jesus' day, Jerusalem was an occupied city governed by the Roman government, and only the Roman government had the authority to pronounce a capital offense. And so, Jesus, if you let her off the hook, you're violating Old Testament law. If you criticize and condemn her, and if she is murdered right there or killed right there in the streets, you're breaking Roman law. He's trapped right now. And there's no way out of this trap, and they know they've got Jesus over a barrel. And I can't help but think of people that are in this church that are feeling trapped right now by the circumstances of life. You didn't do anything wrong. It is not your fault, but maybe you find yourself in a business and a business adventure that just went south and it's not your fault and you're, it's all falling apart around you. Maybe you find yourself in a marriage and you've given everything and you've done your part but your spouse hasn't and it's fallen apart and you're hurting and you need help and I want you to know that God is not far away from people that are struggling and people that are hurting from folks that feel trapped by the circumstances of life. And when you and I do wrong and what we know we're doing is wrong and we do it anyway and we feel trapped in our own sin, we need God more than anything else. The problem is our hearts will sometimes cause us to pull away from him because we're embarrassed, because we're ashamed. It's the worst thing that you can do at that moment is to run away from Jesus when you know you've done wrong instead of running to Jesus. This woman needs a second chance just like I need a second chance, just like you need a second, a third, a fifth, a 200th chance, just like I do, just like she did, because there's only one perfect man on the planet, only one guy who's ever lived who has never committed a sin, never done wrong. And he's the one they throw this woman at his feet. So let's see how Jesus handles this religious conundrum that he just found himself in, no fault of his own. See, really, what he really does here is he changes this woman's life. Not only does he change her life, he gives her the power to live a changed life. See, here's the bottom line. The Bible calls all of us to perfect holiness. Never, ever, ever do anything wrong in the eyes of a perfect God. But all of us know that's impossible. I can't ever live up to a standard like that. And God knows it's impossible because of our broken, sinful nature that we can't live up to that perfect standard. So God sends his son Jesus to clean us up to make the sin go away, to purchase us back by his blood, and to make us pure and perfect in his life. And for that, we all ought to be able to shout hallelujah. But he doesn't just stop there. He not only cleans us up and rescues us, 
But then Jesus gives us his power to live that pure and that perfect and that holy life for the rest of our lives, to keep running back to him, keep desperately looking to him and his power to change our life so that we don't get cleaned up once, we get cleaned up again and again and again and again, not by our own strength, certainly not by our religious efforts, but only by the grace of God poured out through us, or for us on the, blood, on the cross by the blood of Jesus Christ. They throw this woman, you got a picture in your mind, that she's probably naked and ashamed in this crowd at Jesus' feet. And Jesus stoops down. And he starts to write on the ground with his finger. There's all kinds of controversy about what Jesus writes here. Some people tend to believe that he's starting to write out Exodus chapter 23, verses 1, 2, and 3, that command God's people. Don't get caught up in crowd mentality and the mob that wants to criticize and condemn somebody. Don't be a voice that starts to shout somebody else's sin. Don't be the kind of Christian that points out the speck in your brother's eye and you can't see the log in your own eye. Some people believe that's what Jesus is writing in the ground here. He stoops down and he starts to write in the ground, uh, on the ground with his finger. And I want you to see, they have Jesus over a barrel and they know it and they're not going to let him off easy because they persist in questioning him. Hey, Jesus, you know what the law says. What are you going to do, teacher? And he stood up and he said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stood down and then he stooped down again. And he continued writing in the ground. And when they heard this, they started to drop their stones. And when they heard what Jesus said, it penetrated their heart. And they started to walk away one by one. And notice, it's the old men who walked away first. And then the young hotheads, when they saw all of the old wise men walking away, dropped their stones, and they started to walk away too. And I got to wonder, why is it the old men walking away first? Maybe it's because they're acutely aware of their mistakes and their failures again and again and again, and they recognize how much they deserve to be where she is. And when Jesus says this, they drop their stones, and they turn around, and they start to walk away. And eventually, everyone walks away. And now only Jesus was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And I, I wish we could have an audio recording of this woman's broken voice when she cries out to the only one who had the authority to condemn her, the only perfect man who's ever lived who should have thrown a stone, could have thrown a stone. She says, no one, Lord. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now, please 
Don't leave the story right there. I need you to remember that Jesus does not act like this is no big deal. He does not dismiss her sin like it is not an offense against God. At no time in this story does Jesus treat sin like it's no big deal. And I need us to remember that because sometimes we overlook that little white lie. Sometimes we treat that theft or that um, evil spirit in our heart, that mistake that we did, that we know we did, we treat it like, oh, it's no big deal. It's not nearly as big of a deal as what my neighbor did. Jesus never dismisses this woman's sin, but he does not condemn her. He looks at her and he says, go. And from now on, don't sin anymore. Jesus gives her this priceless gift of his grace And his mercy, if you haven't in your mind separated the difference between these two words, mercy means I deserve to die for what I just did. But Jesus doesn't uh, pronounce a capital offense on me. He doesn't give me what I deserve. That's what the word mercy means. Grace is is the other side of the coin. It is getting a gift that you and I could never possibly earn, not in a hundred lifetimes. We don't deserve, and there's nothing you and I could do to repay it or to pay it back. The gift of grace is getting something that we don't deserve. What this woman deserved was death, and Jesus was merciful not to pronounce judgment on her. And then he gives us, or he gives her this gift of grace and says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to command you. Leave here. Be changed. Go live different than what uh, you were doing earlier today. And you and I desperately need the grace of God. I hope you've seen this from the Bible today just as much as this woman needed the grace of God. You needed it on the day that Jesus changed your soul for the first time and made you Bible language born again, turned you into a new person. And you need it today. I need it tomorrow just as much as I needed it for the first time. Let me explain to you in a video why every passage in the Bible is ultimately an Advent passage. It all points to Easter Sunday. It all speaks to Good Friday. All of it points back to Christmas and the gift of God leaving heaven and coming to earth and showering love on people who have rejected and rebelled against him. And the greatest act of love is always the greatest sacrifice. Check this video out, will you?
grace is ultimately an act of God's love. It is just simply God's way of saying, I know you've messed up, and you can't fix what you've messed up. And so I'm going to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. I'm going to give you something that you couldn't earn in a hundred lifetimes. I'm going to make the mistakes and the failures go away. I'm going to give you credit for Jesus's perfect life. And I'm going to give you the power every day when you get out of bed to live different. If you will lean on me and my power and stop relying on yourself. Can you imagine how offensive it would be if this woman says, Jesus, let me do something to repay you for what you've just done for me. Jesus, let me earn back what you just did for me. Can you imagine how offensive it would be if you or I say, God, I know you love me, and because you love me, I want to do something for you. I want to give you a little bit of money, or I'm going to spend some time praying tomorrow, or I'm going to read my Bible really hard this week because I want you to call me a good girl because I'm reading my Bible. I want you to say I'm a good boy because I'm praying. Can you imagine how offensive that would be to a God who was willing to give up his only son? Is payment for our sins. And maybe somebody's watching this broadcast. And maybe you're this first person on the screen. And you're saying, man, I need Jesus to change my soul. Because I can't change it on my own. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. But maybe for the rest of us, this is a moment where you realize all over again, this gift of grace, it is not cheap. It is priceless because it cost Jesus his life. And if I want to know, God, do you really love me? I just need to look at his sacrifice, what he was willing to give up to make me right with him. And so this week, I'm going to get up and I'm going to rest and enjoy the grace of God. I am not going to try to earn it because it would be a terrible offense to try to pay God back. I'm just going to live right because I want to honor my king, not because I'm trying to pay back what he did for me. I want to ask you to bow your heads. I want to pray for us. And I'm going to ask that right now you just get serious and real with the Holy Spirit of the living God. God, right now, I'm asking your spirit would speak to people as they're driving down the road, as they're sitting in their living room, as they're in this room, that your spirit would remind us, Jeff, you're no different than this woman. And you need my son to rescue you from your sin, just like this woman did. And not just me, but every person on the planet, because all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But you wouldn't leave us in our sin. You would go after us. You would send your son, Jesus, the greatest act of love ever demonstrated. His sacrifice on the cross as payment, the blood sacrifice that is payment for my sins. And God, you said, I'm willing to clean you up, Jeff. And not just you, but all that would come to me in faith. I'm willing to clean you up and I'm willing to turn you into a new person. And so I'm praying right now that somebody would simply cry out a sincere prayer of faith saying, God, forgive me. God, I cannot fix myself. God, I am a sinner and I have nothing to offer you but mistakes and failures. But here I am. I'm turning my soul over to you for the first time. Father, would you hear that prayer from heaven? Would you honor it? Would you change somebody and make them new? from the inside out, but I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would never get over 
the gift of grace, that it would never become stale, it would never become a routine for us, that we would be so overwhelmed by it, that this Christmas season, when we just sit back and think about that gift that was given to us, it would overwhelm us. And we would be reminded again and again of the grace that you give us that we couldn't possibly earn. It is priceless, but it's also absolutely free. And for maybe one or two of my brothers and sisters who have this shame and guilt, and they're trying to make the shame and guilt go away by reading the Bible or praying or being a good person, trying to earn your forgiveness, this would be the moment that you release them from that bondage. And they come to your Bible because they want to, not because they feel like they're trying to get, get something from you in return, that they go to you in prayer because they long to communicate with you, not because they want to hear good boy or good girl. They're not trying to earn your grace. They're just trying to enjoy it and to live in it. God, would you speak? Holy Spirit, would you move in power? And would you magnify Jesus Christ in our lives right now and this week? It is in his name that I pray this. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.